you are listening to the Antler VC Cast. We are your hosts. I am Yusti Salavara and I'm the co-founder and managing partner of Antler. I am Pooja Barwani, the marketing director of Antler. In this series, we feature stories of exceptional people who are playing a key role in building and shaping the next wave of tech and the way it is integrated into all we do. We take a look at the transformation that is taking place in an increasingly global and digital world. We will talk about innovation, building and scaling startups, mistakes they made, pivots they navigated through, and lots more. We want to know their story, how they did it, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame it. Stay tuned. Welcome to another episode of the Antler VC Cast on our series of Stories of Exceptional People. Today we have with us Abik Anand, Managing Director of Sequoia Capital, who is based in Singapore. Abik is an active and known venture capitalist, and we are happy to have him on our show to share his outlook and forecast. Welcome to the podcast, Abik. Thank you, Pooja. Thank you, Yusi. How are you doing? Uh, uh, and how have you, uh, have you been this past month working from home and adjusting to this new phase? You know, Pooja, it's been a, it's a brave new world out there. You know, if you had told me at the start of 2020 that I'd be sitting uh, in my living room working for eight weeks and actually being productive, uh, I would have said that, uh, A, there is no way that's going to happen. Why, why would we stay at home for so long and how can we possibly be productive? Um, it turns out that a combination of technology and just, you know, our resilience as people has made all of us actually work, take this quite well. So at least for me, and I know for all of our team, um, the days seem to fly by. Uh, we are productive. We are working very hard. We are meeting new founders. Uh, obviously, it's not the same as it was when things started off. But by and large, I would say we are probably at maybe, I don't know, 80, 90% productivity and, and, and always trending higher. So um, it's actually going quite well. Nice to get this... Uh... Everything models together. I had this situation where I, I was looking at the next day's calendar and I was like, why do I have so many, so, so sorry, so few like uh, business meetings and all that? And then I realized, oh, it's public holiday tomorrow. So, you know, that's how, that's how you notice, you know, the, the days go by. I don't know, you know if you have that. I at least seem to be working more than before. Um, just more and more calls. No, no excuse not to take calls, I guess. Yeah, you know, we have, have a. At, at Sequoia, we have a weekly all hands that we do on Zoom, and we had our Zoom call um, uh, just this morning, actually. And I sort of, you know, started it with a bit of a joke as, you know, how was everybody's long weekend? And everybody started laughing because long weekends don't mean very much anymore. So same page as you, man. No, I think there has to be a clear demarcation. And uh, especially when uh, you have kids and you're homeschooling them, that's the boat I'm in. Uh, and we've also uh, increased our, our weekly town halls that you see chairs. And uh, one of the highlights is anyone can get picked to tell a joke, which actually keeps us all on guard and ready. <laughs> yeah, definitely don't tell anyone before the session who's going to be doing it. So, so we're going to ask you to tell nuggets. a joke at the end of this podcast. <laughs> Believe me, you don't want that, but I'll, I'll try to <laughs> weave in some uh, Finnish humor as we go here. Uh, hey, why don't we? Uh, why don't you, Abik, tell uh, you know the audience a bit about your story? We know each other quite well, but you know who who is Abik, and you know what's what what what's taken you to where you are right now. Sure. Um, so, guys, I'm my name is Abik. Uh, like Pooja mentioned, you know, I'm uh, I'm a part of the investment team at Sequoia over here in Singapore. 
uh, I actually grew up in India uh, and, uh, you know, went to college uh, uh, studying computer science and was a, a pretty massive nerd and a geek back then. I would say I still am right now, but I just do a better job hiding it. Yeah, I was wondering, uh, has it changed? Like, uh... Well, you know, I, you, you, you get better at sort of masking it with everything else, but at heart, I'm still a, a huge nerd. Yeah, nerds um, for yeah. the victory, so nothing nothing to be ashamed uh, of there. Exactly, exactly. Um, and then, you know, my first... Uh, my first job out of college, uh, you know, I went to grad school and then my first job was as a data center infrastructure engineer at VMware uh, in Palo Alto. So I spent about 12 years working in the Bay Area and a number of, you know, reasonably technical jobs, you know, starting off as an engineer writing C and, you know, assembly level code for, um, for large data centers, uh, moving to business school um, and then realizing I really sort of wanted to be a founder. So I started my, uh, uh, you know, a company after business school, which I ran for a few years in the Bay Area. Uh, that company eventually got acquired by Facebook, which is how I ended up over there. Uh, at Facebook, I was uh, part of the product team, running a few product teams, um, mostly on the monetization side. This was, you know, uh, just before Facebook had gone public. And if you guys remember, lots of pressure to try to monetize. I was part of the team that was trying to figure out ways to make money. Um, you know, ran a few product teams over there and then, and then kind of realized that, you know, I'm not really cut out for big companies. So, um, um, that was sort of the, the, the realization that precipitated sort of either going back and starting something new or, or joining a smaller organization. And then, uh, an opportunity at Sequoia came along and I moved um, back from the U S to Asia first in India for a few years and now Singapore for about three years. So, you know, at, Sequoia over here, we're a pretty small team um, and you're looking to find sort of the next big company for the region, you know, investing in everything from seed stage as part of, uh, you know, our search program, which uh, some of you might be familiar with, to sort of our bread and butter, which is, uh, you know, the venture and growth stage investing that we've been doing for several years now. Um, you know, very fortunate to have partnered with some very interesting companies here and always excited to see what's coming up next. I think that's one of the the great privileges of the job is you get to meet founders who show you what the world will look like in the future. And uh, we get to partner with them in the very early days of their journey. And, uh, and that's what sort of keeps me excited and going. That's great. Like, <laughs> uh, what a journey. Now, I, I wouldn't go back to, you know, what you we started by saying, you know, you've adapted to this, you're very productive now at, at home. And um, and of course, what Sequoia does is uh, looking for the best companies and founders to invest in. But that at the end of the day is a very um, people-oriented personal touch, you know, when you meet a founder. And how are you dealing with that, with uh, meeting a founder online for the first time and then making these sort of decisions? Yeah, you know, that's an excellent question. And, um, you know, I would say we're still at a point where a lot of the companies that we are meeting are founders who we've known from the past. So there's relatively few conversations so far where we are just meeting a company for the first time. You know, we've actually been pretty actively investing through this period. Um, and, you know, we've made a few investments recently. And, you know, most of them were people that we've known before. I think what has also happened is that, you know, especially in the early stages of a company's life, it's relatively easy for us to, to sort of take that risk based on, you know, a founder's background, uh, based on what they've done before, based on, you know, our conviction in the market. So what we are seeing is that some markets are very counter-cyclical and seeing a lot of tailwinds as a result of COVID. 
And you know, in those markets, it's relatively easier, easier for us to make early stage investments. I do think that there are going to be challenges that we have to figure out in terms of how do we make larger investments in companies if we haven't met the founder face to face. And that's something that you know several people on our team have sort of concerns about. But at least my personal perspective is that you know it's it's all um, it's, it's at least a large part of it is psychological. Right? I mean, we're sitting right now, and I can see you guys. You can see me. Uh, we are having a conversation that is not very different from the conversation we would have had uh, if we had met in person. And now, of course, you know. When you meet founders, you know, you sort of spend a lot of time with them, you know, you have dinner with them, you know, you, you sort of, you know, have a lot of interactions in person. But the reality is that if you exclude that, most of our interactions with founders over, over time happens to be online. You know, it's constant WhatsApp communication. It's constant sort of phone calls, late night conversations. So what has happened as a result of COVID is that that transition away from from sort of the physical interaction to digital has really accelerated. Um, and I personally don't think that we are losing out on too much uh, by not meeting people in person. It's just a different way of thinking and we're going to adapt to it very quickly. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. I was, uh, I've been thinking about the same. You only miss on the sort of smell and uh, physical touch aspects. And I don't and think, sometimes uh, that's okay. I don't think, yeah, yeah. It's, I'm okay it's skipping typically, that. <laughs> typically, typically fine. Um, to pick on something you said, you mentioned Surge, which is sort of your your flagship, uh, I guess we could call it seed seed program in Southeast Asia and India. Do you maybe want to want to lay out a bit what that is for people out there who uh, don't know about Surge yet? For sure. You know, Surge is a program we launched last year um, in India and Southeast Asia. And like you said, you see, it's a, it's a, it's a way to think about it as it's a, you know, it's a seed program designed to accelerate a company's transition from a seed to a Series A company. So what we do as part of the program, and we do that twice a year, we you know invest in companies throughout the year and they become a part of the next cohort that's starting. So for example, if a company joins today, um, they will be a part of the next cohort that's going to start in August, September. Um, and the way the program runs is that we get a group of companies together a group of founders to learn from each other and really build a community of founders who can push each other to do better. So we invest in each of the companies anywhere from one to $2 million um, as part of our seed fund. They become a part of our surge cohort. And then they work together with our surge team to really accelerate the journey um, towards sort of the next stage of company of the company's uh, trajectory. And so it's actually been, you know, we're in our third cohort right now, which is running as we speak. And it's interesting, originally the first two cohorts were run in a manner where we had five weeks, two of them in Singapore and one each in the US, China and India. You know, the idea being let's expose all these companies to all the tribal knowledge that Sequoia has in all parts of the world. So, you know, you go to the US, they'll meet sort of our partners in the US and China, you know, our partners and portfolio companies in China will sort of give them a perspective on what's working there, similarly in India. And now we're in a, in, a, in, a, in a world where travel is no longer an option. And so all of the program is being run online as well. And, you know, all the feedback that we've been receiving, you know, the NPS scores that we received in like some of the previous batches were like incredible, you know, in the 90s. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what scores come out this time around um, because uh, it's a very different way for us to actually run the program. 
my sense, at least from the early data, has been again, you know, we adapt uh, and, and and people are sort of being productive and you know the 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 overhead of not meeting in person or or the disadvantages of that are more than made up by the efficiency of not having to get on a plane, not having to get into a car. Um, so people are just being much more productive. So I think net net, I do expect this to be a very effective way for us to deliver the program too. Yeah, it's quite exciting. Uh, I mean, I'm very impressed by Surge. We had a, a privilege of uh, being co-investors in a couple of companies that entered uh, Surge, and and their experiences have been fantastic. Um, do you have any companies you want to highlight that sort of uh, what you're very excited about that either have entered uh, Surge now or or otherwise are sort of benefiting from the current situation? You know, it's uh, it's funny. You, you you're asking us, you know. You're asking me sort of to pick a favorite child uh, yes, to put the to put that metaphor that. for sure, for sure. Um, and there's all, there's also a whole uh, bunch of other companies that are in in the cohort that you know are frankly going to be you know pretty strong net beneficiaries uh, of what is going on in the market. So anything that's doing you know digital services, uh, you know we have companies that are uh, you know trying to provide. Um, digital alternatives for physical um, experiences. Um, and, and those types of companies, I think, are going to all be, you know, really strong beneficiaries um, of, uh, of this new set of, uh, of this new environment that we are living in. Now, obviously, there is also going to be some companies here that, you know, are not going to, to benefit as much. So, you know, in the first category, you'll have some companies that are uh, you know, companies like Fitter in India, which is trying to build an online fitness app. You know, gyms are closed and everybody's trying to move everything online. Uh, or, you know, there's education platforms that are trying to build online learning experiences for their students, like a company called Colon. Um, and so I do think that many of these are going to be pretty strong beneficiaries of this market. Now, any other company that's trying to build something for the physical world will have some short-term challenges. Uh, but again, you know, the advantage of being a seed stage company is, you know, your burn is not that high. We actually invest a sizable amount of capital in each company. So we expect that, you know, they should be able to sort of come out of this quite strong um, with enough of a balance sheet to get to the other side. So in terms of the types of companies you're seeing emerge in this environment, uh, could you categorize them? Um, you know, you said digital services, of course, ed tech. Uh, what sort of other companies do you think can actually sprout and grow in a market like this? Yeah, you know, look, I think if you were to sort of think about, you know, broadly what's happening over the last few years, uh, and, you know, one of the things that we think about and and as investors is we often think about inflection points in markets, right? What has created some fundamentally new way of conducting business because that's what creates opportunities for us to invest in. So, for example, if you were having this conversation in 2007, I would say the smartphone coming out has really changed the way in which companies will get built because people, companies are going to get built mobile first. You know, uh, around the same time, the cloud was emerging. Um, and, uh, you know, cloud now has become the default way people build enterprise applications. So, you know, those are two examples of inflection points uh, and new platforms that emerged that really gave us a lot of opportunity. What's been happening over the last many years, uh, especially in our markets, has been uh, you know, what, what I would sort of very broadly characterize as a shift from, from, from physical to digital. Right? People are slowly shifting uh, from uh, a way of conducting business that 
you know, relied on offline centers for education uh, or direct sales teams for enterprise software, um, you know, or, you know, some kind of, you know, physical in in engagement between the company and its customers towards a more digital world. And, you know, there hasn't really been until today a, an inflection point on that. I would say it's been more of a gradual shift. You know, people are being educated, a new generation of consumers are coming up. The younger folks are saying, hey, why do I need to, um, you know, do this physical experience where I can experience something substantially the same digitally? That shift has been relatively slow. Um, what has happened is that, that the curve of that shift overnight has basically moved up vertically. So we've literally gone from a world where it was an option and a nice to have to have a digital experience to cater to a subset of the market to a world where that's the only experience we have. So, you know, it holds true for everything from education to entertainment. Um, you know, if you are trying to do sales online, um, that's the only way now that you can conduct sales. So what are some of the better ways for us to do it? If you want to sort of hire somebody and you can't meet them in person, what's the best way for us to do that? What, is social, what do social interactions now look like in a world where we can't meet in person? Uh, now, I think what's going to happen even in a post-COVID world is one, this transition back to quote-unquote normalcy is not going to be overnight. It's going to be a slow transition back. Uh, and because of that, the transition from physical to digital is not going back to where it was when it started. So we'll plateau off at a number that's going to be substantially higher than where it was when we started this transition. And so, you know, from our perspective, um, you know, it, it's sort of important for us to almost try to visualize how does one do everything that we were doing in a normal pre-COVID world, but do it in a post-COVID world. And you can reimagine pretty much everything. Like, how does one find, um, you know, candidates to interview? How do you how do you date somebody? How do you sort of have any kind of, you know, interactions with your family? Uh, what do social engagements look like? Uh, what does entertainment look like? What do sports look like? You know, you can't go into a stadium anymore. There's no concerts for the foreseeable future. Um, I actually think, you know, look, there's going to be a, a pretty significant humanitarian, uh, social, political, economic cost of this crisis. But the silver lining in that is that the number of opportunities that will emerge to reimagine the way the world exists uh, are going to be very substantial. So I'm actually looking forward to seeing what, what types of companies get created off the back of that. Yeah, that's that's very that's fascinating. I mean, the offline world is uh, typically quite an inefficient way to to do things, and uh, you know, th there's going to be step changes in many markets. It's fascinating. I'm a big. You mentioned sports, for example. I'm a big mixed martial arts fan, and uh, the, the UFC in the uh, US is organizing an event this weekend to an to an uh, empty arena, and they they have like five five people on the sort of organizing uh, medical team. And it's kind of odd, like everything has been limited to uh, something minor, but but it's still a, a very efficient way to distribute the content online. Um, sorry to talk about uh, kind of your competition. I know you guys are in 1FC uh, here, but uh, <laughs> anyway, and maybe you mentioned dating. Maybe that's something where you do end of the day need the smell aspects we talk, talked about. So, um, you know, not everything can be can be uh, replaced. 
but but I uh, you know there's been a lot of talk in the market uh, about your letter to your founders and CEOs. Um, I actually I think it's some people have uh, misunderstood it from my point of view to be a very gloomy you know now is not the time to build but rather to hunker down and I don't think that was the message at all. It was the message was to be conservative and you know be. Uh, whole new kind of uh, savvy and, and hustle in a different way, right? In a resource cons- constrained way. And I think that's that's exactly the the sort of uh, right way to do it. And I've been giving very, very sort of uh, similar messages um, to the market and, and sorry to our, to our founders myself, right? Um, have you gotten a lot of feedback on that? Or is that, uh, you know, been, has that been controversial? You know, it's not been as controversial, and I think you're right. It's not a, it was not at all a doom and gloom message. If I had to take one thing away from that, I think the thing that we were trying to impress upon everybody was to have a bias towards action. You know, I think it's normal for um, for most people in a very rapidly evolving environment to not take proactive action. And the reason for that is many fold. Like it's a little bit psychological in that, you know, most of our, or many of us are, have trained ourselves to act in the presence of, you know, somewhat perfect information. You know, we're all sort of trying to solve problems and, you know, you, it's hard to solve problems when the, when, when the underlying problem itself changes overnight. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that we've seen in the past when markets tend to turn, um, is that, you know, founders who, you know, even in most situations have a, have a very optimistic point of view, as they should, tend to wait to see a turn of cards, you know, and, and tend to see how, wait to see how the environment will evolve. And what we've been trying to sort of, um, impress upon people, uh, over the last several weeks is that you, the worst thing that you can do is not act. And, you know, it's fine to, to, <clears throat> to make small adjustments, small changes, to try to anticipate the world uh, and where the world is going and then adapt when you get more information. But waiting for the perfect amount of information to show up before making the quote-unquote perfect decision uh, may not be an option for most people in this market. Um, and so, look, I, you know, it's a, you know, hard decisions are, are, are always hard, then they're except, exceptionally hard in the absence of perfect information. Um, what we've been encouraging all of our founders to do is really have a perspective on what the world will look like after COVID and how long this will last. You know, I'll give you an example. Internally at Sequoia, you know, we've, our China team saw this play, play out in January. You know, they've been working from home since then. Uh, our portfolio companies over there have seen it play out since then. We've had a number of RLPs that do research in, um, um, in healthcare globally. Uh, that have been telling us for months now that this is something that's going to last for like several quarters and it's not something that's going to go away. So, you know, our job really is to try to help our founders see around the corner, share our sort of perspective on having a point of view in each market and tell people that this is what we expect will happen. And we're not going to be right all the time for sure, uh, but at least as responsible investors and board members, um, the important thing is for us to share our learnings from the past. You know, all the scars that we have in our back, from several decades of investing. Um, I think that's what we are trying to share with everybody in the community. Yeah, I think one thing that's for certain is uh, super high volatility and no one can know what's going to happen. 
So, you know, one of the biggest takeaways from your letter was the, you know, point of view from Darwin evolution. It's not the strongest that, you know, survives, but it's the most adaptable. And, um, and, and, and that's, that's something that uh, everyone should, should sort of uh, keep in mind. For sure, for um, sure. And you look, I think there's been lots of examples, right, of companies that, you know, and, and look, I mean, globally, we've had some companies that have been massive net beneficiaries. Um, and, you know, we also have companies in markets that have been very, very negatively impacted. Um, and that's just the nature of, of the beast. You know, we are trying to make sure that we help companies in, in each stage for the companies that have new sets of opportunities to understand how to capitalize on them the most. And the ones who are going to be facing lots of headwinds to sort of weather through the storm and get on the other side. So besides adaptability, would you say there would be like a, a new face of the kind of founder you're looking for in this post-COVID world or in this COVID world? We know we knew obviously founders need to have, you know, perseverance and grit and drive to succeed. But what would be the one new trait that they really need to have to build a business in this new world? Look, I think um, the, the you know, and this is something I'm going to, I, I read in a quote from one of our partners in the U.S., Mike Moritz, who said, um, you know, something to the effect the the laws of grab, the, the laws of physics of economics have caught up with the market, you know, and, and he used the word, the phrase, the laws of physics, because, you know, there are some fundamentals about businesses that never really disappear. It's like gravity. Right. For example, having sound unit economics in a bull market, nobody really sort of thinks about that very early on because you know everybody's sort of rewarded for growth. I think what will happen in this environment is that we're going to have a lot of founders really be tested in a in a very resource constrained uh, and uh, rapidly evolving world. Um, and what that's going to result in is a set of founders who are resilient much more so than the past, who are grounded because they are operating in a resource-constrained world uh, and who are frankly going to be building businesses in a very different way than they would have even back in 2019. And so, you know, some examples of that are, you know, there have been companies in our portfolio that have literally had to pivot around on a dime uh, because their market no longer exists and does not, they don't expect it to come back anytime soon. If you do that very early on in your career as a, as a founder, that will instill a level of grit and resilience in the culture of the organization that's going to last for a very long period of time. Um, you know, Airbnb was founded right after the global financial crisis. Uh, you know, lots of companies get created, you know, Square, Stripe, uh, you know, Flipkart, a lot of these companies get created right after or around the time when there is a big global event uh, such as this. And I do think it's, you know, the, the companies that survive end up being a lot stronger uh, and, you know, a lot more resilient and get built for longevity and, and, and endurance rather than for short-term uh, growth um, and, and sort of other vanity metrics. Mm. Is there any advice you want to give to found? Like we've been weaving in a lot of advice into the discussion, but um, anything kind of uh, specific to founders out there right now, and and maybe also to people who are aspiring founders. Someone's out there thinking about, you know, is now a good time to uh, build, start building a business? What do you think? 
Yeah, on the latter, you know, one of the questions that we ask ourselves at Sequoia for pretty much every new investment that we make is, is the very simple question, why now? And the why now, I think, is a very is a very profound question to ask, not just for investors, but also for founders. And that question is really asking, why does my business deserve to exist today, but not, say, five years ago? What's new? Right? And if you have a very strong answer for that question, uh, I think it's a good way to build conviction that what you're trying to build is truly something that uh, can be defensible, that can be large. Um, and is a is an idea worth pursuing? So for everybody new who's starting, I would really encourage you to ask that question: Why now? Um, and it turns out, in today's environment, the answer to that question is a lot simpler, right? Because you will have lots of markets where the why now is that it didn't make sense for this to exist in in January 2020, and in April and May 2020, there is no other way for this to exist. Right. And and that sort of dramatic shift doesn't really happen very often, right? I mean, it's uh, um, and so to 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 all the new founders out there, I would really, I mean, obviously lots of things to think about, but I would think about the why now, um, and what's new, and why are they building something today that, you know, is frankly just, and, and you know, that's the best way for disruption to happen, right? I mean, you you can go ahead and disrupt pretty much any company that got created in 2019 or before by just trying a new, dif a different way of building things uh, because their business model might be completely obsolete right now. Yeah, um, I think it's a great time to start building something. I mean, because uh, now you can, we talked about that ability and pivots and all that. And uh, if you start from scratch now, you actually can straight attack in the, in the kind of new world, knowing the conditions. Um, and then if you, if you decide to let me let me wait it out for another month to get more information, then you easily end up procrastinating and you know just waiting. Like when is the good time? Then like you can always wait and get more information, but then you actually end up doing nothing, right? So so relevance and purpose. And speaking of businesses at this time, there's so many that can be created. Everything from uh, um, you know infrared type of cleaners for delivery things to um, I was just thinking that there needs to be some sort of in between a parent and a teacher, like a homework assistant. Cause right now I, I feel like my kids PA, I've pretty much like, I mean, you know, the other day my uh, son messaged me from his laptop to bring him something printed. And I was like, really, this is, this is what it's come to. <laughs> you know? Hey, you should have said you definitely don't need to print anything. It's 2020, you know? Yeah, but I, I, I think with the amount of screen time, I, I actually like love certain exercises get printed. So, but no, there's, there is so much out there that, that can be built. Uh, and, and I, I think this will be one of those, uh, situations where really people are going through it themselves and they're filling in, you know, this is what's needed. This is what's missing as we adapt to this new reality. Um, but. I want to move on to something a bit more personal about you, Abik. So, uh, you know, you've been through quite a journey. You mentioned, you know, how you've got here. And uh, uh, if there was one thing from the past that you could change, what would it be and why? You know, I think one thing that I have found that, um, you know, founders and I definitely did not appreciate as much as, as somebody a lot younger. And I appreciate a lot more right now. It's just the power of simplicity. Uh, I think, um, you know, a lot of us try to come up with sort of pretty complex ways of solving problems because, you know, especially, you know, like I was an engineer uh, by training 
and you know you are rewarded for solving complex problems. Nobody rewards you, rewards you for solving simple problems. Uh, but simplicity is often you know a lot harder uh, to solve for than complexity is because um, you know it's uh, every business starts off in a certain place and then as it gets to scale complexity compounds uh, pretty dramatically and so one of the the, the things that I've definitely done in my career in the past and I would encourage sort of you know folks who are relatively early on in their career to to is to, to really overvalue simplicity. Simplicity shows up in a few ways, right? Um, you know, a lot of founders that we meet try to solve, you know, complex problems, uh, and they, they focus a lot on 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 the how, you know, which is you know, like how do I solve this problem? And they don't ask the why question of you know, why does this problem deserve to be solved? Uh, is there a simpler problem that I should be solving? Uh, it shows up in a few other ways in which you know founders kind of go after. Um, problems that you know might be interesting problems to solve but they forget the simple ancillary problems that are more important for example is this a market worth being in um you know i i do think that you know a lot of good ideas um are created when people solve relatively basic problems in large markets um, you know, let's let's look at you know some of the largest companies that got created recently. You know, they're not trying to you know solve uh, you know really complex technical problems. Like Uber was started trying to find you know black cab service for rich people in San Francisco. You know, Twitter was saying you know I'm going to start a, a blogging service, but I'm going to restrict the number of characters to 140. Uh, you know, Facebook was started as a way for people to stalk their classmates. It's not really complex. It's you know ser serving a pretty basic human need. Um, and then complexity gets layered on over time. Um, so, you know, my, my, my biggest learning would be, you know, just simplify, simplify as much as you can. And then there's always going to be a time for complexity. That's, that's great advice. Um, and, you know, in these times, obviously it's challenging for everyone. You seem to be doing well, but what keeps you going or motivated? You know, I think, um, another thing that I, I, I personally, um, believe in professionally and, and personally as well, actually, uh, is this power of longevity and compounding. Uh, what I mean by that is, you know, if you, if you spend long enough trying to solve something or trying to work on something, you keep getting better and better at it. Uh, and so, you know, I always encourage all of my, you know, people that I know, my family members, my, uh, my friends sort of always focus on what can you do for a very long period of time. And the only thing that you can really do for a very long period of time is something that you truly believe in. Um, I don't think it's possible for any of us to, to, you know, convincingly spend a large amount of our career doing something we don't push, we don't believe in. Uh, for me, like, look, the, the thing that keeps me going is just, um, um, uh, I really enjoy what I'm doing and I believe that what we are doing is, 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 is a good thing uh, for our markets and 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 for our community. Um, you know, it's uh, if I was sitting over here doing something I didn't believe in, I I can tell you I would go absolutely crazy. Um, and you know, look, it's 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 interesting, right? You know, I was uh, I, I was talking to a a friend of mine the other day, and who also works in the industry. And you know, I, I was I started off this conversation. I said, you know, man, it's so hard. Like I'm I'm you know staying by yourself in an apartment for several weeks is like 
you know, one of the hardest things I've done. And he said, yeah, that's true. But try doing that with three kids. I, like, well, yes, I hear you. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> There's no good answer, right? I mean, it's, uh, uh, and so to me, like really the, 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 everyone has their own challenges in this environment and, and, and the way for us to, to be productive and focused on sane is to do things that we care about. Um, it could be anything. It could be work, professional, personal. Run. You could run. <laughs> yes. I you just see, see a lot of runners out there. Yes, everyone's running. I don't know what they're running from, but they're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's yeah. just running and making sourdough bread. Um, yeah, bread seems to be. Well, yeah. I think we're all a bunch of crybabies in the end. <laughs> this is not so tough. I was, my brother had been doing some research into like... Um, the conditions of, of our family 100, 200 years ago in, in Finland. And uh, when I was reading on that, I was like, this, um, this work from home is not so bad. I think, uh, I think we'll manage, you know. <laughs> and we're fortunate in Singapore to actually be able to go for exercise, even though they, they say that you do it alone. Uh, most people in lockdown won't even allow that. Uh, yeah, but uh, <laughs> the, this is, the, you can exercise everywhere in the world. So I think... I think Singapore is actually one of the more stricter ones with that. We should be allowed to exercise for Christ's sake. That's uh, mm-hmm. It's related anyway. to the mental. Okay, Yusuf, do the honors for the last question. Oh, the last question. <laughs> so, um, uh, Abik, we're lazy here. We don't, uh, <laughs> you know, always source our own guests. So, you know, who's the most exciting person you'd like to uh, see in our podcast, get some insights from, you know, someone who's, not a very regular guest maybe on, on, you know, podcasts or webinars and so forth. So who, who would be, would be an exciting guest? No, I think, um, you know, personally, I'm, I'm, I am, I am quite interested in, in, and this is more of a, a personal choice, but I am quite interested in, in figuring out what, um, what gives people endurance, you know, and, and to me, like, Endurance is something that is incredibly important in, in a normal world, but even more so right now. Right? If I was to tell you guys that lockdown is going to last for another six months, I'm not saying that, but if it were, how do we deal with that? It's not as if the world is going to suddenly reopen business as usual on June 1st. Um, and so to me, like, you know, people who sort of managed to, whether it be in, you know, in one of our CEO summits, um, we had Michael Phelps and he talked about, uh, you know, his, um, I'm not saying you should get Michael Phelps as a podcast, although he's, he's an amazing person, but he was there speaking and he said something very simple. He said, you know, somebody asked him, Hey, what's the secret to your success? And he said, it's very simple. Everybody else trains six days a week. I train seven days a week. I train 16% more than everybody else. And he said it in such a matter of fact way. Uh, you're like, huh? Fair. Um, but to me, like, you know, and not only has he done that, but he's been doing that for decades, right? So what drives people to do that? And the, the cool thing about today's world, and, you know, we were thinking about, uh, again, sort of in a post-COVID world, like, you know, we are now talking, sitting in Singapore. There is no reason we have to be in the same country. You know, you could have your next speaker sitting in, like, you know, International yeah. Space Station for all we of care. Of course, right? of course. It's all the same. Yeah. Um, no, exactly. So, Michael Phelps. Somebody is that the, come on, that, we'll, we'll that have the Michael Phelps. Yeah. But I, if I if <laughs> I throw in, let me throw in. Actually, let me. Th- but I want to 
quickly make one comment on what you said. So I think the compounding is the big theme. But if, to get a you know startup analogy, I think founder market fit is also what I'm taking away from Michael Phelps because he had a record uh, wingspan and the, the perfect body scientists would design for swimming. So you know, I'll take away that um, you know founder market fit is also important. But compounding fins, is good fins, too. but. But I also think the the big takeaway with that is when you said, you know, it's one extra day, sometimes it's a little tweak, whether it's in mindset or it's in a business model that makes a world of a difference and makes you stand out from the rest. So that's something that I think everyone should keep in mind. Sometimes you have to take that extra tweak and that means a mile extra that will make all the difference. You know, you're absolutely right. You know, it's funny, like in retrospect, we look back at somebody like Phelps and say, holy shit, that guy is just so much better than everybody else. How does he do it? Well, it's actually not rocket science. It's that, you know, one extra day. Uh, and, you know, of course, there's everything else beyond that as well. But without that one extra day, I don't think any of the rest would have mattered. So um, the power of compounding and small changes. Thank you. And with that, we will wrap up this podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, we wish you well. Be safe and be sane and stay productive like you have been. Thank you so much. Thank Abhi. you very much. Thank you very much, Lucy. Thank you, Pooja. Okay. Stay safe, guys. You have been listening to the Antler VC Cast with Yusi Salavera and me, Pooja Parwani. To know more about Antler, our portfolio companies, and our philosophy, visit us at www.antler.co or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook at Antler Global. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.